There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of the sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. This is the word of the Lord. want to make sure you all see this part, okay? This is the cool part. Um, it's a strange Sunday. It's Halloween, and uh, I thought we'd have a lot more little um, little munchkins in, <laughs> in, uh, decked out today, but I have seen a little Russell from Up, although Russell wasn't too little, and did you guys notice that, um, that our bass player was Naruto? I, I don't even know who Naruto is, but that's what, that's what he told me, <laughs> right? Um, we are in part five of our series on uh, union with Christ, and I have been eagerly waiting to get to this message. This is an important turn in this series on this very, very important topic, which is at the center of the center of salvation, to be united to the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so... Today's message is especially important. Now, just, just, let me just say this before we get into it. Um, I gave you a very, very basic definition of what is union with Christ. And today I'm going to get into it a little deeper. And that basic definition I gave you early on was that you are in Christ and Christ is in you. That sounds very simple, isn't it? You are in Christ and Christ is in you. And that's absolutely true. But there's more that the Bible says about that. And this particular teaching today has been tremendously important in my life. I hope it will be tremendously important in your life. It's, been, it's essentially been a game changer in my spiritual life. A game changer in the way I look at God, who I am, and how, how my faith works. How God works through my believing in the gospel, and I hope that that will have the same effect on you, okay? So, let's get into it. Part one, what exactly is it? What exactly is union with Christ? That's part one. So, I gave you this basic definition, and I'm going to go deeper. What is it? What exactly is it? Part two, the Holy Spirit as the bond of our union. So there you go. There's the answer. Okay? But I'll uh, get, it to, get to that answer first. The Holy Spirit is the bond of our union to Jesus. And part three, unbreakable and thus always close to you forever. Okay? Unbreakable and thus always close to you forever. That's what union with Christ gets you. An unbreakable bond where Jesus is always close to you forever, okay? Now, I want to get, let me just start with this question. What exactly is it? We've been talking about how if you believe and you give your life to Jesus, that you are united to him in his death and resurrection. And I already said this simple thing, you are in him and he is in you. But, you know, People, are, people have difficult questions. And there's all kinds of different ways that churches 
and pastors and theologians have talked about this reality. And let me just start, start, let's start with a few, all right? Number one, is the union primarily a legal union? That's the first one. So the, the technical um, theological word for this is forensic, <laughs> okay? But forensic basically means legal. In other words, it's kind of a construct of a law. A law is in place, and that law now pronounces a new reality. So I want to just say a little something about this first. There's a lot of people who think that just because something is legal doesn't mean it's not real. It is real, okay? It's just real according to the law. Now, because something is real according to the law, I always kind of had a problem. So, okay, it is real. Like, um, but nonetheless, there's this other question. Is there something, like some stuff, or some kind of like actual fundamental spiritual reality that's inside of me. So here's what I mean by that. So let's take something that you all can understand as a union that's legal and it indeed it's real. So one of these days, ladies, a special man comes into your life. You hit it off. You date for a while. And then he gets on his knees. He hands you a shiny ring. And then he says, will you marry me? Right? And then you have the special ceremony and then you're married. Do you know that when you're married, it isn't just that you have a lot of good feelings and intentions toward, toward her, or, you know, toward your spouse, and your spouse has a lot of good intentions and feelings toward you. It is a legal union. So um, for those of you who, don't, you know, who, who aren't married, um, either before or like right after you get married, after the ceremony, you'll get this, you have this piece of paper, and you know what that is? You're signing what is essentially a legal contract. You're signing a marriage certificate. And what's going on is that the government is saying, now, Susan, you don't belong to yourself. You belong to Grace. Or vice versa. Grace and I got married in California. And so it's, it's a legal reality. So you're united, and that is absolutely real, but the, the basis of the union is fundamentally one based on law. Okay, you following me here? Now, all of that is really, really good. Is that true about union with Christ? It is absolutely true. If you believe in Jesus, God has, you know, he has a law. Essentially, he has a, this is the way it works. If you give your life to Jesus, there is a fundamental legal exchange that occurs. It goes like this. You give your life to Jesus, and here's what you, you, you bring into the relationship. You bring yourself, and generally the thing you contribute is your sin. <laughs> Jesus shows up. He's sinless. He contributes all his righteousness and his goodness. And you know what's wonderful? His righteousness and goodness is far bigger than your sin. So his, your sin is now credited to him, and his righteousness is now credited to you. So let's just use, this is another example that the Bible uses. The Bible uses the example of debt. So let's say you, you know, let's say, um, let's say that, let's, let's, let's talk to the men first. You come from a poor family and you get you know, you're working really, really hard. You had a lot of debt to go through college. And then you get a decently good job after college. And, but you still have a really big, huge amount of debt. But it's still not enough to pay off all your bills. So your debt is getting bigger, 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 bigger. That, that number is on you. So just because there isn't like some stuff, <laughs> that some stuff like you can actually touch it, that number of your debt, that's a very re real thing, is it not? So then, let's say you meet some wonderful woman, and she turns out to be the daughter of a billionaire, <laughs> okay? She turns out to be the daughter of a billionaire, and for some reason, she likes you. And so, she's like, oh, you're in debt? How much are you in debt? What? $300,000? That's bad. That's really, really bad, you know? And you're feeling like, I'm going to go into bankruptcy. I'm going to lose everything. Everybody's going to hate me, Okay? You get down on your knee, you know, the dating is going well, you ask her to marry you, she says yes. As soon as you get married, 
all her assets, okay, all her assets now are yours. <laughs> all your debts are hers. So let's just say, you know, her dad's a billionaire. You know, she's at least going to get $333 million. She's got three kids. There's three kids, okay? That's fair. So, you know, evenly divided among three kids. So your $300,000 debt and her $333 million are now going to come together. Legal union. This is partly what is happening when you give your life to Jesus. Okay? You hearing what I'm saying here? I'm trying to let you know that just because it's legal doesn't make it not real. Just because it's legal doesn't make it not real. In fact, if it's not legal, if you ask me, it's not real. So at the, very ba- at the most basic level, if it has to be legal. It has to be according to law. It has to be according to everything that the way the world is supposed to work. And, the, and, and, and then two people who were apart now become united. So this is what's going on. There's a person named Jesus. There's you. That's two persons. And now you're going to be united. If two people were now apart and now are going to be united, at the very least, it must be a legal union, and it is. Okay? But let me ask you, if, when I was growing up, I learned this. I absolutely learned this. And I was like, this is really, really wonderful. Here's, here was my issue with it. It's wonderful. I believed in it. I'm so thankful for it. And the general benefit that the Bible calls this is justification. I've been teaching you about this. Justification. And how do you get it? By faith. Not by your works. You don't earn anything of it. You know what you contribute to it? Your debt. Okay? So you don't contribute any righteousness into it. And if you contribute any righteousness, it's probably junky and unworthy. So it's, you're justified wholly by grace. Only by faith. And let me say a little, one more thing about this before I move on from this point. Your, even your faith is not a work. You know what your faith is? It's just reception. I believe it. Would you please give this to me? Would you please accept me, Jesus? And if you ask that and you believe that, that's faith. And then you know what he'll do? He'll give you justification. And that's the law. Now here... That was all wonderful. I believed in this as a young man. But here's here's the issue. I realized, well, he's up there, and I'm down here, and he's still a person up there, and I'm a person down here. And we all know there are marriages that are basically junky. So he's, he's married to her. Maybe he has more money than her or vice versa. But they don't sleep in the same room. They may not even live in the same house. They don't talk to each other. They have a really, really crappy relationship. And so, you know, inside of their heart to the other person, the relationship is kind of like it's, 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 it's dying or in big trouble or maybe it feels fundamentally dead, but the legal reality is still nonetheless there. You get you hearing what I'm saying? So here, this is one way that you can be legally united to somebody, and yet inside of the actual lived everyday reality, it's breaking and dying, okay? So this was kind of like my problem with this. So as a young man, I'm going, I'm united to Jesus, and yet I'm a really lousy Christian. I'm, I'm a pretty bad person. And there's a lot of things I do that I know is sinful, and I try to stop it, and I can't. And since I can't stop it, I'm greedy this way. I'm prideful this way. I'm lustful this way. I get angry this way. And you know what? I can't really fix it. And so, and regularly, you know how I felt? Jesus is far away. (laughs) He's really far away. So, through justification and by the law, we are united. But in my life, I'm screwing this thing up pretty royally. How could he be close to me? This was, this was the very beginning. 
And I just want you to stop for a moment before I go to the next point. Can anybody relate? Any of you relate to what I'm talking about? So the first thing I want to let you know is, if I start off in saying, you are in Christ and Christ is in you, and you mostly think it is fundamentally kind of a legal construct, which it is, nonetheless, I'm telling you, it's an absolutely real legal construct, you're going like, that doesn't really seem like good news to me. <laughs> it is kind of good news. And as a young man, that's exactly how I felt. It's the gospel, but the gospel is sort of like half-baked good news. Because I suck too much. Okay? Let's go to a second possibility. What is the way that you are united to Jesus? Is it in relationship? It's in relationship. So that's the second way that you're relationally one together. You're in him and he is in you. All your good intentions are toward him. All your desires are toward him. All your love is directed toward him. All of what you want to give and is, is directed toward him. Your heart, your life, your soul, your, it's like that's how the relationships work. Anytime there's a good relationship, isn't that how it works? So those of you who are married, you all probably kind of know this. When you're going really, really good, your wife is so great to you. You're good to her. You take out the trash even though she doesn't even ask. Okay? She's like, yeah, honey, you know, we can have that special night tonight, even though you didn't even ask, right? And when you are lame and you are being kind of selfish and insensitive, she's forgiving and kind. When she's cranky and in a bad mood, you're forgiving and kind. Because inside of the relationship, there's this good stuff that's always coming out toward the other person. It's relational. So, so maybe inside of relational, to just use a little bit of a different, more modern word, maybe it's emotional. Or it's of intentionality. So, is that true? Union with Christ. You are united to Christ in relationship. And in relationship, He loves you and you love Him. Because you love Him, you're giving yourself into Him. And because he loves you, he's given himself into you. By the way, just, just a quick, I know I keep using the, the marriage analogy because this is as close as human beings ever get. And it's, it's not a coincidence I'm using the marriage analogy because this, it's, that's actually the analogy the Bible uses. Okay? So again, let's, let's get back to it. Is that true? Of course it's true. If you're in a good marriage, you're not just giving your time to your wife. You're not just giving your good, your money to your wife. You're not just giving your good intentions to your husband. You know what you're doing? You're giving yourself into himself. You're giving your very self and putting yourself into him. That's union. And the Bible even calls it that. That there's two and they shall become one flesh. There's a oneness so deep that yourself is actually going into the other person's and that person is going into you. Isn't that good? Is that true between you and Jesus? Absolutely. Okay. That sounds really great, doesn't it? But what if your relationship is bad? It's kind of like another corollary to my problem on justification. What if your relationship is bad? And what if your relationship with Jesus is bad because you're bad? You know, back to the marriage. Um, it's wonderful when the marriage is going good. But it's terrible when the marriage is going bad. It is terrible. I would tell you, like, if I could go back, I've been married 24 years. If you ask me, what are some of the worst days of my life in, in the last 24 years? I mean, the worst bottom, bottom days is when Grace and I are hating each other. The one I'm giving to her is resentment, bitterness, unforgiveness, blame, condemnation, and hatred. And what I can feel from her is something similar. 
although she's far more righteous than me, so I've given her a lot more of that than she's given to me. Now, it's not just me just being like a nice husband. That's objectively true, okay? But when we go through that, those are the worst days in the last 24 years, period, okay? What if it's like that? So I'm giving myself into her, and yet she's a thousand miles away, even though she's only in that room over there. I'm in this room over here. She's in that room over there. It takes me about 10 steps to get to her. But it doesn't matter because in the relationship, she might as well be 10,000 miles away. And that's probably where she wants me. Literally, like, we both had times when I, like, I get really angry and then I, like, Walk out of the house and I just close the door. <laughs> There's times she got so fed up, she walked out of the house and left. And I was going, I hope she comes back. I think she's going to come back. Hope she comes back. But don't come back too soon because right now I hate you. <laughs> okay? What if it's like that? And, you know, just because Jesus is supposed to love you, don't mean we love him back. And you ever been through a period like that? You ever been through a period like that? Where you have it in your head, we have a legal construct. It's called justification. I'm united to Jesus. I'm forgiven. There's this thing called grace. I think it pays the fire insurance if, so I don't go to hell. But right now, I hate him. I'm far from him. So there's times you're far from him because primarily you hate yourself. Because you're so filled with guilt and you don't actually believe he loves you. And then there's times you are far from him because you hate him. You don't think he's, he's there for you. He hasn't been kind to you. He just lets some some. Horrible bottom drop out of your life. What is this cancer thing of my mom? What do you mean my kid has a sickness and he's never going to get better? What, 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 what is that? And so, now let me ask this question. If that is the basis of what union with Christ is, is that good news? Is that good news? And if you ask me this, I would have said this. Now, I heard this too. I, I, was taught, I was taught both these things. I'm united to Jesus. It's legal. I was like, okay, good. I'm united to Jesus. It's because we have this relationship. Okay, that's good. And in the back of my mind, I'm going, but man, I know I could screw it up. How is this good news? It's half-baked. Okay, let me give you one let me give you, um, well, two more words. One more word, which is fast. Sometimes they said it's covenantal union. So, legal union, relational union, a third possibility, covenantal union. Here's what's covenantal. There's God, he's Lord. He takes two people and unites them together. You know what covenant is? Covenant is that it is both legal and relational, and it's sealed by God. So it's sort of like both those previous things. Legal, relational, and it's sealed by God. So it's both those things on steroids, defined and shaped by God and protected by God. That's covenantal. That's what marriage is, by the way. So it's not just legal, and it's not just relational. It's covenantal. So, but again, that's legal and relational. I can still screw it up. All right, one more possibility before I move on. So, in my early 20s, I started seriously studying theology because it started looking like the Lord wanted me to be a pastor. So I'm looking at, like, systematic theology books where they take all the important topics. Found out that there's this chapter called Mystical Union. Mystical Union. And I was like, so somehow I'm united to God through Jesus. Okay, cool. I turn to the mystical union chapter. It's like one page long. Because I'm like, okay, I want to know about union. This is really, really important, isn't it? 
read that one page, and I said, so let me just give you a summary of what a lot of theologians mean by mystical union. You are absolutely united to Jesus. How? We don't know. That's, I just gave you like a little summary of everything I read on mystical union. You know why? It's mystical? Because we don't know. Mystical means it's mysterious. We know it's real, but it's mysterious. So the word mystical just means real yet mysterious. We know there's some real power between you and Jesus. And that there's, there's this, what, what, what John Calvin calls the bond of union between you and Jesus. That thing is real. It's absolutely real. It's not just legal. It's not just relationship. There's some bond between you and Jesus. And it's real, but mystical. I said, that's not very helpful. <laughs> I guess I'm still bumping around in my life. Now, let me give you a beautiful quote that when I learned this, I knew something was up. Okay? I didn't get it right away. But it was kind of like sometimes you walk into a room and there's a little crack of light. And that little crack of light, you know, your eyes start to, you know, you're, it's dark. So then it's like this little, this light like shines in and it's, it seems small. But because it's, you're starting to be able to see, you know it's important. That's what it was like. So let's go to the quote. You already heard a big chunk of this before, okay? This is from John Calvin, book three of Institutes of the Christian Religion, all right? Here's how he says it. How do we receive those benefits which the Father bestowed on his only begotten Son? Not for Christ's own private use, but that he might enrich poor and needy men. First, we must understand that as long as Christ remains outside of us and we are separated from him, all that he has suffered and done for the salvation of the human race remains useless and of no value for us. Therefore, to share with us what he has received from the Father, he had to become ours and to dwell within us. I already gave this to you. I gave you this part two. How do you get this? It is true that we obtain this by faith. Yet since we see that not all indiscriminately embrace that communion with Christ, that's union with Christ, which is offered through the gospel, reason itself teaches us to climb higher and to examine the secret energy of the spirit by which we come to enjoy Christ and all his benefits and then I cut out this next portion because it, it gets, it's difficult to follow, all right? Then he goes through a bunch of different Bible passages. I'm just going to summarize this just for the sake of time because it's not that easy to follow. He goes through 1 John 5, 6 through 8, 1 Peter 1, 2, 1 Corinthians 6 through 11. And then he starts explicating all these different parts of the Bible. And then he says this, to sum up, the Holy Spirit is the bond by which Christ effectually unites us to himself. The Holy Spirit is the bond by which Christ effectually unites us to himself. Okay, let's go to part two, all right? What I want to do in part two is to show it to you in the Bible. That's mostly what it is, okay? I kind of went a little long on part one because I wanted you to feel the weight of this. What exactly is the union? It's not some stuff. The union is the Holy Spirit himself. You know how you're united to God, the Son, by God the Spirit. You know how you're united to the Son of God and all he's done for you? By God the Holy Spirit. Do you think there's anything... Like I used to say, it's mystical, so it's just kind of mystical and like it seems kind of ethereal and like maybe it's nothing. Oh, it's not nothing. It's the biggest thing there is. It's God himself. Now let me show it to you in this passage. So it comes up in multiple passages. Today I'm going to show it to you out of Romans 8 and then I'll quickly try to show it to you in Ephesians chapter 3. Okay? So here's in Romans 8. Let's try to be efficient here. Okay, 8.1, 1. 
There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Okay, you know what in Christ means? Union with Christ. There is no condemnation for those who are united to Christ. In Christ is shorthand for united to Christ. Verse 2. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ. <laughs> in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Now let me say a little something about this. I don't know why Paul does this. I don't know why God, the Holy Spirit, inspired Paul to do this and make this one of the most important books ever, ever written. And this chapter, one of the most chapter, important chapters ever, ever written. But it is a feature of the book of Romans. This is how Paul writes. He uses this word law and then he kind of changes, he uses the word law and it changes its meaning even though he keeps using the same word. So, Mostly when you hear the word law, what do you think? You think the rules, the right rules. Like if, if we're talking about the law of God, we're talking about all the right laws, the rules, right? But in the text, in the context, he uses the word law to mean the rules from God. And then he also uses the word law, which means the reign, the power, the authority that comes from God. It's very strange. But he does. So let me read it a little bit differently so you can just try to get this. Listen. For the reign, the power, the authority of the spirit of life has set you free in union with Christ from the reign and authority and power of sin and death. So in, the, in, in, the, in the Paul's way of thinking, there's no such thing as you not being under some authority and power of something. So in the modern secular mind, I'm free. I decide my own self. I can do whatever I want. I can decide if I'm going to be, you know, a, a rock star or I'm going to be an artist or if I'm even going to be a girl even though I'm, I'm, I was born a male because there's no law and power and authority over me. That's how the modern secular mind thinks. It's the religious viewpoint of the mind uh, of, of today. But the Bible says, no, you are under some kind of law, some kind of authority, some kind of power. And the one that you are under is the one of sin and death. But when you are under the reign of the Holy Spirit of life, who has set you free in union with Christ, you've been free from that power over sin and death. It's, that's over. Let me jump down to verse 9. You, again, so he goes through a whole period of like, those who have been in this, under the sin and flesh, etc., etc., right? But let, let's just jump to verse 9. You, however, are not in the flesh. And I always explain this. If you've listened to me explain this multiple times because, you know, I've passed you a long time, just be kind and be patient because whoever's listening to this first time doesn't understand this because it's confusing. <laughs> flesh doesn't just mean meatiness. Flesh means human nature with no God, okay? Godless human nature. It doesn't matter how smart you are, how kind you are, whatever good intentions you have, godless human nature. I mean, it's like secularity, right? It's like the best of secularity even. So let me say it this way. You, however, are not in godless human nature, but in the Holy Spirit, in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ doesn't belong to him. And then verse 10, listen to this. But if Christ is in you, if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. Here's another way to put it. If Christ is in you, you know what that is? Union with Christ. That's what it says. It's union with Christ. If you are united to Christ through faith, and the spirit of his life, the spirit is in you because of righteousness. Now, there are some people who think that you can believe in Jesus and not the Holy Spirit. Okay, if you ever hear that, that is wrong, 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 heresy, bad doctrine, run, run, run away from that church. I'm not kidding. The day you give your life to Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes to indwell you, Period makes his home in you, and the Holy Spirit will never leave because you're his home. 
Okay, home. So here we go. You are in Christ. And if you're in Christ, you have the Holy Spirit who then takes away with all his power and authority, takes you away from the authority and power of sin and death. Let's go to verse 11. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Let me break it down. There's all these hymns and he's. If the spirit of him, that's the spirit of God. God raised Jesus from the dead. We're talking about God the Father. If the spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he, that is God, who raised Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Now that last his is tricky. Some scholars think his refers to God. That is God the Father. Some scholars say it refers to Christ. It's Christ's spirit. Hmm. Which one do you think it is? I know it feels a little nerdy. I'll give you what I think is the best answer. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) Is it God's? That is God the Father's spirit? Or is it Christ, God the Son's spirit? And the answer is, Yes, that spirit is in you. Now let's go to one more verse. So I want to just show it to you so I'm not making this stuff up out of one passage. Okay? Let's go to Ephesians chapter 3. All right? Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14. This is in the middle of a, a beautiful prayer that Paul says for the Christians of the church of Ephesus. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. He may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. That's where it's going to happen, in the deepest part of who you are. Verse 17. Why? What is this for? So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. What is the Holy Spirit doing in the deepest part of your inner being? What is his actual activity? To put and strengthen you with power. What is this power that he's putting in the depths of your soul? He's putting Christ to dwell in your heart when you believe. That's what's happening. Let's go to part three. I want to close. Why does this matter? I, I, I told you this story that when I was young, I learned this, and I grew up well-churched, and I learned lots of beautiful things about the Bible. And I really wanted to follow Jesus. But mostly, there's something going on in a lot of Christians, and I'll bet you what was going on in my mind as a young man was also going on in you. In fact, I know it's going on in you because I've pastored many of you. And when I've pastored many of you, and as I talk to you and as I listen to you, I could feel that this is how you think of it. And here's how I thought of it. I'm down here, and I'm trying to live a... Okay, and I'm trying to live a good life. I'm united to Jesus. Somehow, mysteriously, he lives in me, and I in him. Okay, that sounds good, but I was a kind of cynical kind of guy. And I had, like, deep doubt issues. You know, I really have a lot of compassion toward millennials and Gen Z and people who go, like, isn't that... Jesus stuff and Christianity, isn't that a lot of fairy tale stuff? Because even though I came from a devout Christian family, my natural disposition is skepticism. My natural skepticism is to ask the next really, really hard question. I'm like, but then what about this? Oh, wait a second. Then what about this? 
And then what about this? And then I got to this point. Okay, there's a legal construct. I mean, legally united to Jesus. Relationship. He's in me, but mostly, and I'm in him, but mostly I'm running away from him. If you actually look at my life, I'm like, I want to be a good Christian, but I also really want a lot of worldly good things. And I'm a good Christian on Sunday, some of the Mondays, and on Tuesdays, I'm wicked. <laughs> and then the following Tuesday, I'm wicked. And then on Wednesday, I think, wouldn't it be nicer if you could just be wicked? <laughs> That's not true what's going on with a lot of young people today. They find it very difficult and painful and hard to find out that they really suck. If you're listening to me today and you're young, don't think I don't know you. I do. You find out that you want to be a generous and kind. I, I care about black people. I care about poor people. And then you actually try to care about them, and then you find out, I don't really like them. Why don't they just go away? I just want to watch Netflix, eat good ice cream. And some of you are like, well, let's flick on some porn. <laughs> let's just have some fun and eat some good food. And you find out, this is a lot easier. It's a lot easier to be like that. And then there's this religion out there that says, well, if you just decide to just sink into that, you're pretty bad. You're a sinner. And you're going to come before God. And he's going to say, you're pretty bad. You're not going to be in my house. And people just don't want to hear that. They don't want to deal with that. And then we get tired inside of our, and so I'm a Christian. I believe in Jesus. I badly want to be close to God. I badly want to follow him. And I badly want to be a good son to my devout Christian parents. At the same time, I suck at it. I'm only good at it for three out of seven days, and that's a good week. And so now I've been taught all this stuff. I'm united to Jesus. Legal construct, relationship, covenantal. Good, 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 fine, all right. But in my mind, he's way, way, way up there. And I'm some dumb schlub falling down, down here. He's way, way, way up there at the right hand of the Father because isn't God up there? Right hand of the Father, that's where Jesus is. But I am down here and I'm not doing so great. Sometimes I'm doing good then I feel really good about myself. And then I'm, sometimes I'm feeling, doing pretty bad and then I'm feeling really bad about myself. And I can try to believe Jesus still loves me by grace. And I, I know that's a fact. So, you know, I'm more Spockish than most of you, okay? So I can kind of like go pure logic, you know? I already know just kind of in general, like if we could put like who, are, who can be like Spock? You know, most people can't, you know, if it's like a bell curve. And there's like a few people over here on this side, they have a chance. I, I have a chance. But still wasn't good enough. Because every time I pray, every time I ask Jesus to be with me, in my heart, it would scream, scream, scream. He is far. He is very far. He's really, really far. It's like those days when my wife and I would have a horrible fight. And she's just over there. But if she walks out of the house, I've actually, these like, thoughts start like, rolling through my mind. She might not come back. So there's something about the human heart that's like this. It could be legal. It could be relational. You are giving your best to the other person. And they're giving their best to you. But your best sucks. <laughs> their best is even better than your best because my wife's best is better than my wife's. But it's still kind of just hanging on. 
And as long as the person seems really, really far away in your life, you feel so lonely and so weak. You feel like you ain't going to make it. But here's the truth. When you gave your life to Jesus, if you've given your life to Jesus, you have a bond in union with him, which is the Holy Spirit, God himself. You know what kind of bond that is? It's an absolutely unbreakable bond. And when the Holy Spirit is the bond between you and Jesus, you know what that means? Jesus can never, ever, ever be far. This is a really, really weird thing. He could be sitting up there at the right hand of the Father, but the Holy Spirit puts him in here. Or now he sits here. He listens to you here. And when he speaks to you, you're like, I don't know if he speaks to me. I never hear him. Well, let me tell you how it works. If you go to church and this full name Susan says something and you're like, that's true. I think that might be from God. That even might even be from Jesus. I think that's from Jesus. Do you know who's saying that to you? The Holy Spirit. You're sitting there going like, could it be actually true? Jesus is actually inside of me. And he loves me. He's never far from me. Maybe you're sitting there going, you actually, maybe you could actually imagine Jesus being right here next to you and he leans over to you and says, I'm right here. All my benefits are for you. See this bond between me and you? It's God. God the Holy Spirit is our bond. And the Holy Spirit takes the power to take the risen man, God, Jesus, and take him into what's seemingly an impossible thing from the right hand of the Father and sit right here and give you power. That's union with Christ. Let me close. I first heard this. I first heard this uh, when I went to Westminster Seminary. The person I taught was uh, Richard Gaffin, my professor. I was, I've been reading Richard Gaffin books recently. He's, he's hard to read, okay? But his theology is absolutely awesome. It's like spot on, so biblical. And when I started taking this, I, I didn't learn this until my early 30s. And I began to think, if this is true, then I can suck. When I come to God with my weird admixture of some godliness and some crappiness. There's this crappiness inside of me that cannot go away, at least not by me. And then yet there's this good part of me, which I know is probably of Jesus and from Jesus. And it's all there. <laughs> and then when I do that and I talk to Jesus, you know, I began to realize he's right here. He's right here. He's never going away. He's never going away. Ever. Never, ever be far from you. No matter what hell you put yourself into. No matter how much you fail. No matter how much other people hate you. No matter how much you hate yourself. No matter how bad you feel. No matter how bad you make yourself feel. No matter how bad anybody else makes you feel. He's right here. The Holy Spirit will bring him to you always. All his benefits, all his power, all his righteousness, all his love, all his grace, all his everlasting life will go to you. Never to be broken. And so now, here's the only trick. Just keep remembering that and believe it. Their only real trick is to believe it and then live in it. Live in it every day. Wake up in the morning, 
I'm united to Christ, unbreakable. He's close, and he's for me, always, forever. That's this day. What a good day. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you gave us salvation. And salvation is not something, anything that we can attain or do. That is all in Christ. But even when we believe that, we have like trouble with that. Somehow, in the subjectivity of our hearts and our minds and our perceptions, we can believe in Jesus. And yet, the truth is, inside of our mind, is elusive. Somewhere between the fact, the absolute objective fact that we are united to Christ, our hearts can be a million billion miles away. And we run through this world like lonely fools, depending on our own righteousness and our own wisdom and all our own tensions and all, just fumbling around. And then the world gets all cynical and angry and they just want to say, let's just throw all the standards out and throw God out. And then everybody goes, let's just live inside of our sin and then call it good. Let's call it our rights. And we live in a culture like that. It just feels easier, but that is death. And yet, even if we slip into a dark place like that, this is the crazy part, Lord. You are the God of the cross. You're still sitting right there in my heart. Never to leave. And you whisper through the Holy Spirit, the gospel, that you are there and you will never leave. And you're ever close. Your forgiveness is forever. Your mercy is forever. Your grace is infinite. And your love for us is an ocean. And yet, Deep, deep down, we can't believe it because we think you're far away. And yet today, may the fool talk, Susan, but instead, may your spirit speak from you, from your lips, Lord Jesus, and tell every hurting believer that you are close, unbreakably near, and will be forever. If there's anybody here today who doesn't yet know you and has given his or her life to you, may they hear this good news and this great hope and invite you in so that you will take up your home and by the power of your spirit, you'll be near, bonded to that person, unbreakably, infinitely close forever and ever. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.